you through our study on Sunday evening. We take a moment tonight to look at the phrase, once again, what does the Bible say about guilt? And realistically, the guilt that is speaking or we're going to speak of within this particular sermon is it's that guilt that, that we all have. Where we just can't let go. My mother turned 69 years old this month. She, like many other reaching her age and perhaps those even a little more advanced than she is, she often asks me, and and there have been many who asked me throughout the years, what if I haven't been forgiven? She calls me... I would say a couple, maybe even three times a month to ask something similar along those lines. What if what if I'm still guilty? What if I can't forgive myself? And there'd be no need for us to have a show of hands of, of people who would say about themselves You know, sometimes I feel guilty about the things that I have done and I wonder how God could forgive me. As we look at this, we have all, at least sometimes in our life, felt guilty. And and most of the time that's justified. It's justified because we have done something to violate God's law. We, we've done something to find ourselves being um, in, in direct opposition to what God says. Sometimes that guilt can linger a lot longer than we want it to. Because while God forgives, I just can't forgive myself. As Webster defines guilt, he defines it this way. The state of having committed an offense or a violation of some moral or penal law or the word culpability. That's not bad. As we look through the dictionary once again, we look over at Cambridge and he says, a feeling of anxiety or unease caused by the conduct of an unseemly manner. And I think as you and I melt these two ideas together, we can find a pretty good representation of the guilt that we feel. We think it's a feeling of anxiety over an action that either we could not avoid or over which we have previously repented. And that does not allow me to have the freedom from my sin. And we're caught inside a prison of our own guilt because we put ourselves there. Because we just can't forgive ourselves. The question for the night is this. Why does God forgive us? 
but we will not. If I'm altogether honest, I would say this, and, and perhaps it's the baby of the family, but I am a whole lot easier on me than you will probably ever be. I am a whole lot easier and I can see a whole lot more grace extended from me to me than probably you would extend to me. But we all would extend ourselves that same grace, wouldn't we? When we begin to look at our life and we begin to see all the things that God has forgiven our debt some reason there's a little bit of a hang up for some reason we we just can't get over the fact that God has forgiven us and yet we cannot forgive ourselves perhaps it is that we think that the crime was too big if you know what I had done you would even ask yourself how can God forgive someone of that When you look at Philippians chapter 3, you have Paul mentioning all of the things that he was. Turn over there to Philippians chapter 3. And as he mentions those things that he was, he mentions what kind of person he was. He says this, though, verse 4, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh uh, he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, notice this phrase, I persecuted the church. Now, if you think your crime is too big, <laughs> take a moment to try to compare them if you can, with what Paul has done and what Paul has admitted to doing. Not only persecuting the church, he is running people out of the church. He is arresting them. That was his job in Acts chapter uh, number 9 as he's going to Damascus. He's going to take them from Damascus and take them back to Jerusalem and put them in jail. Is your crime that bad? The crime that you have committed, is it, is it so far of an atrocity where you have forsaken Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver? Is it so bad that you have told at least three different groups of people you don't know who Jesus is? Is it, is it so bad that you find yourself like Rahab? And we don't have to go too far into her profession. And you say, oh, my crime's not that bad, preacher. But for some reason in our mind, we think the crime is too big and God just can't forgive it. Let me make a statement here and I want you to hear me and understand me. If Judas had not committed suicide and if Judas would have come back to Christ and repented, God would have forgiven him. Now let that sink in for a moment. Your crime's not too big. 
Maybe you think then, if my crime's not too big, well, maybe the punishment, the, the repercussions that I had here on this side of eternity are, are just too small. Well, yeah. Absolutely they are. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, you and I will read, for the wages of sin is death. You know that, that phrase there in the very beginning portion of, of verse number 23 never tells us how big that sin is. The wages for this particular sin, as big as it is, now that's death, but the other one is not. Oh no. The wages of every sin. That's what puts the, the barrier between me and God. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 59 and verses 1 and 2. It wasn't God that moved. It wasn't God that placed that barrier between them, but it was Israel and their sin. That's what had separated God. His ears not so deaf to care here. Shoulders not so toughened that he doesn't have it tender for his children. His eyes not so blind that he can't see. My punishment was too small. Yeah. Yes, it was. Anything short of death would mean that your punishment was too small. And that's okay. Because my punishment or my sin was too small. And I'm glad for that. Because now I have opportunity to do better and to live for God and not meet Him in violation of His will. Maybe you think... My memory is too good. I just can't forget. We've been taught for several years, and I guess it was because it just goes so well together to forgive and forget. Please don't raise your hand, just shake or nod. Husband or wife, has your spouse ever done something that hurt your feelings? Don't shake. I know what it is. Did you forget that? It's hard to forget. Forgiveness means that I'm not going to bring it up again, but that doesn't mean it's not still churning in my little head. My memory is too good. And I cannot shake the guilt of what I have done. Maybe you have friends like I have, or friends like Job had, who will help you remember those things. Others frequently remind us of what we did. Brandy and I went to a high school football game several years ago. Did we even have children then? Who knows? Sounds better if I say no. We'll just say that. We may have had, but they were not old enough to be there with us. And the lady working the gate was a teacher of ours. She taught some advanced mathematics, and Brandy was a good student, and I went to school. That's as far as we can say on that. And that teacher said to her, You married him? 
And you know, I knew exactly what she meant by that. It's a valid question. Because she knew what she saw right there at school. She didn't know anything else. You have other people who knew me growing up and would say, now you're a what? Hmm. And I guess I'm the only one who lives that life, huh? Check or not? No. Sometimes others won't let us forget, or, or I won't let myself forget, or, or the, the punishment was too small, or the, the crime was too big. All of these things play into my fact that I can't forgive myself, or I won't forgive myself. Make your way over to Romans chapter 6. While you're making your way that way, let me make a statement to you. We're not going to get much else done in the kingdom of God if we can't forgive ourselves. If God has forgiven us, you need to let it go. So do I. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? But it needs to be worked on. So when we look at the idea of what does the Bible say about guilt, we want to look at Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Stop right there. Paul is writing this to the church of Christ that meets in Rome and they have an issue. Here's their issue. We were sinful and we received grace from God that pardoned our sin through hearing his word, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. That pardoned our sin. So, if the grace of God pardons the sin of man, then we should do more sins to get more grace. That's a terrible thought. He says, shall we continue in sin that that grace may abound? And and there he has this, this word, And in 2020, the phrase is transferred or or translated this way. Have you lost your mind? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. There's no way in the world that's right. He goes on from there and says this. How shall we that are dead to sin, stop right there. Paul is addressing people to whom he is putting himself in that same group. How shall we, who are dead to sin, who is he addressing? He's addressing the church there. How are we going to live in sin when we're already dead to it? And so when he addresses that church, after he says, God forbid, he says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, for the next seven, really for the next chapter, but for our purposes, for the next seven verses, he's going to compare and contrast those who are dead and those who are alive. First, he compares us to those who are dead to sin. 
my grandmother passed away November of 2019. When April the 15th rolls around, you know how many taxes she'll pay? Jim, this one's an easy one. How many? Zero. Do you know why? Because she is dead to our tax system. The, com- the comparison Paul is making here is for us as Christians who are dead to sin, who no longer follow after those things and no longer live in those things. He says, how can you who have put away all of those things live that life? And here's the fact. You can't. You can't live both lives. You can't live as a person who is dead to sin, yet one who is living in sin. That's impossible. Either you're living in sin and you're not dead to it, or you're dead to it and you're not living in it. You can't live in both places. But we try. We try now. We, we want to live in both places. We, we, we like the draw of the world and we think perhaps maybe we're, we're missing something and so on Sunday we try to live dead to sin and on Wednesday we try to live dead to sin but on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday we try to live right in the middle of it. It's hard to live that lifestyle. It's hard to live two lives. He says, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you not understand? Do you not realize that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, stop right there. Did you know that there is a difference between the word in and into? He said, yeah, there, there are two more letters in the word into, and I would say uh, there's, there's a bigger difference than that. If I am jumping in water, then I am standing in water and jumping. If I am jumping into water, then I am jumping from the bank into the creek. And he said, do you not know that those who were baptized into Christ, who were at one point outside of Christ, but now who are inside of Christ. Don't you know that those who were were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Whoa. Paul is is very dark when he's speaking here in in Romans chapter 6. All I hear him speaking about is death. Don't you know you were baptized into the death of Christ? Weren't you? What happens right here? You say baptism, and I say, hmm, that was a loaded question, wasn't it? You have that old man being buried. Now, let me tell you something else I know about the legal system in the United States. You will not go to jail for burying someone who has passed away. And you will go to jail for burying someone who has not. Don't you know that those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into his death? Don't you know you're giving up something? Don't you know you're putting something to death? Don't you know that? And he goes on to say, Therefore we are buried with him. We who? Once again, we, the church, are buried with him by baptism into death. 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. Let me tell you what happens here also. When a person is baptized, we don't hold them down until the bubbles stop. No, you raise them and then they walk out of the other place and they're a brand new person. They're completely new. How's that possible? There's nothing magical, mystical, or unique about the water here, I guess other than maybe it comes from a hot spring. It's not the water. It is the process of being baptized into the Christ, into the death of Christ, and then being raised to walk in a newness of life. Now I promise you we are getting closer and closer to guilt. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We have been planted. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead and walked out of that tomb, you are raised from that watery grave and you walk out of that grave and you become a light. Knowing this, knowing all of these things, knowing how God forgives and and, and by what process he forgives man's sin, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified. You take a few moments and you study that old man found in Romans chapter 6, that one who is dead, that one who's been buried, that one who has been crucified. Now you do that to a regular person, they don't come back. They are all the way dead. There were thousands, if not millions, of men and women who were crucified on crosses throughout history and there ain't but one of them who's ever walked out of a tomb and he walked out of the tomb because he's a son of God. When you're put to death on that cross of crucifixion, you are dead. And when we crucify that old man, I guess he stays somewhere around in here. But that old man is dead. Never to reemerge, never to show his head again, but sometimes, sometimes we act very zombie-like when we try to bring him back from the dead. Knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, henceforth we should not or cannot serve sin. Because of the sacrifice that was made for us, we cannot serve sin. Because of the sacrifice that was made for us, we can't live any longer inside that sinful state. And you say, but preacher, I'm not worried about being baptized into Christ. I thought we were talking about guilt. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Look at verse number 7. He that is dead is free from sin. Now I want you to pay attention. When I stand before God and I am free from that sin, is God going to bring it up? No. He's not going to bring it up. As a matter of fact, 
that old man of sin is dead. That guilt, actual guilt for that sin has been buried. At least God's portion of it. Why don't you bury it too? Give yourself a break. The same break that you extend to our brothers and sisters as they come and repent of sin, as they come and are baptized into Christ, and, and we look at them and say they are a new person. And, and we begin to forget about those things of the past and we begin to look at them as our brothers and sisters in Christ and we look at them and the value of God, what God would see and we give them a, a break and we say, he's been redeemed. He's been saved by God's plan. Why don't you give yourself that same break? Let that guilt go. That guilt will shorten your life. It will eat at your nights. It will keep you awake and have you worrying about something God will not even remember. You who are dead to sin, don't you know that you're free from the guilt of sin too? Not only the, the guilt that God would hold, but also the guilt that you would hold. Stop holding yourself hostage. Learn to forgive yourself as God forgives and as we forgive each other. I don't know what the answer is for my mother. I don't know if, she, if I ever give her the right answer, if she'll just stop calling. Probably not. She'll find something else to call about. I have spent many a day on the phone telling her, why don't you just get past it? As harsh or as awkward as that sounds, sometimes that's the best thing for us. Why don't you forget about it and move forward? Forgive yourself as God has forgiven you. As, as we follow after God's plan. As God forgives me, I should forgive me. Can I live any longer therein? Not if I'm dead to it. There was a man, as so the preachers say, who was an awful husband to his wife. He'd go out drinking with the boys and would come back home and uh, begin to hit on everything from the, the cat and the dog as he walked in the house to the children and the mother. And she lived for years like that. One day, a Christian taught this man the gospel at work. He obeyed it. This was after work. It took a little bit of time and she just thought, the wife just thought he's out drinking again and it's going to be round whatever when he gets back home. 
that night she had reinforcements. She called her father, told him what was going on, and he's going to straighten out that situation. He comes home just as sober as a judge. And the father comes out and says, Boy, are you hitting on my wife? My, my daughter? And uh, the man says, No, that wasn't me. So I've just been uh, buried with Christ in baptism. That old man no longer exists. You know what? He's right. And I hate to say that, but he's right. Have you put on Christ in baptism? Have you done those things mentioned in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, to have us being placed into Christ? Having that old man to die away and, and being raised to walk in a newness of life? If not, you need to. And brother or sister, if you have done those things and you just can't forgive yourself. You need to. Because the Father's already forgiven you. We're not going to get anything done in the kingdom of the Lord until we forgive ourselves. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, let me plead for you to come now. And if you have sin that's in your life that's keeping you from pleasing God, let me beg you to come while we sing this song for your encouragement.